You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. That's how we out here now. That's how we out here now. What? That's how we out here now. That's how we out here now. Welcome to the Riverwise Podcast. On this podcast, we offer you the conversations and stories affecting the communities around the city of Detroit dealing with justice, equality, and self-sustainability. My name is Amas Muhammad, and with me always is my co-host, the managing editor of Riverwise Magazine, Mr. Eric Campbell. It's a pleasure to be here. We have a special guest with us today who's going to help us uh, kind of figure out what's been going on in the streets. Um, Tons of stuff is happening in Detroit and around the country and the world, and we want to uh, we want to provide a little bit of analysis, a little bit of uh, a little bit of um, conversation around what's happening. We have a special guest with us today. Chris White is joining us from the Detroit Coalition Against Police Brutality. I should mention that uh, I first met Chris back in 2008 when I was uh, writing for the Michigan Citizen. And at that time, Catherine Kelly, we were working on some education issues at the paper. And Catherine said, you have to sit down with Chris and have a conversation about the work that he's doing. Chris has been an advocate for public education in Detroit and um, has been involved with the Coalition Against Police Brutality since the mid-90s. Um, Chris, welcome to the Riverwise podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, thank you all for having me. And I'm glad to be here and honored to uh, be with anyone that's been fighting this uh, struggle and movement to empower our people, which is what you are doing here, especially through River Rise. And we appreciate it, man. We're doing our best. Um, we've been uh, we've been fortunate to uh, through River Wise working with some folks that you know quite well. You know, Gloria House is a part of uh, our team at River Wise, yeah. and um, you've been working with Gloria for for a number of years now. Yeah. Um, I mentioned your work with the coalition goes back to the to the 90s, and I'm hoping we can start things off by just you kind of reminding us, bringing us uh, a little bit of that history around the Detroit Coalition Against Police Brutality, how it began, why it began, and um, maybe you can share with some of that, with us some of that history as we start. Okay, well, it, it uh, began in the 90s. It, the, the catalyst for it was um, the Malice Green murder by uh, Buskin and Nevers, which were known as Starsky and Hutch throughout the entire city of Detroit. Uh, people started to come together to fight against police brutality. And in 1996, um, Ron Scott, Marge Parsons, and Dr. Gloria House started the Detroit Coalition uh, Against Police Brutality, which was an organization that was, uh, the name actually, uh, was utilized before from Damon Keith, 
before he became a judge and he was a lawyer and they were dealing with police brutality back in the 1940s. So um, some of the major uh, cases that they had was the Arnetta Grable case, which dealt with uh, her son being uh, murdered by a cop named Eugene Brown, who was one of the most notorious cops in the country at that time. And uh, even when he wasn't shooting people, he would sit in the back of the police station. He would shoot pigeons. Mm. This was a notorious person. Uh, The coalition fought to uh, ban tasers. uh, And that's why you really don't see tasers in the Detroit Police Department, because the coalition fought to stop that. Coalition was involved in the case with Deron Caldwell, uh, which was known as the $100 million man, because uh, they accused him of shooting up the uh, fireworks in uh, one year in the 2000s, the early part of the 2000s. And because the NFL was in town trying to get the Super Bowl here, uh, the mayor, then Kilpatrick and Kim Worthy and the chief Ella Bully Cummings went and they found any old body to try to put the case on and a coalition uh, fought to make sure that uh, he was a, uh, let go and that was a great victory then there was the ron floyd case where the tall african-american a dark-skinned gentleman about six five and uh he had a little disagreement with his girlfriend wasn't no physical thing and the cops were called and as soon as he opened up the door as a white rookie cop and they saw him as a six foot five uh black guy and they filled him full of lead. He, he survived. So we took that case on and uh, we, we dealt with that. On to what you see that's going on now. The Penny got the Marianne Godbodo mm-hmm. case. Uh, about the, That was a, a national case. The coalition handled that. When members of the coalition went to jail, which uh, the Kim Worthy tried to uh, charge Marianne Godbodo with several crimes because she refused to let her daughter uh, take this medicine that was slowing down her development. So it became a mental health case and uh, it was a major case there. So Ryan Scott is, was, is the spokesperson, I believe in Detroit, he's probably the greatest uh, activist that has dealt with police brutality in, mm-hmm. in the city's history. Uh, we got the department a consent decree, was one of the first in the nation to really have a consent decree. And uh, those are just some of the things that we've done. And finally, we have our sister organization, the Peace Zones for Life, which is a conflict mediation uh, organization. And, you know, uh, Grace Boggs talks about it in one of her books uh, towards the end. She has a couple of pages about it. And this organization deals with conflict mediation because we have to create a society where we don't have to call the police and we have to work with each other to make sure that we deal with the different types of violence that we encounter and sometimes we create uh and we need to transform this police department and make sure that they don't have army tanks and all the things that they have you know these high power weapons and partner with the and 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 shift that money into community organizations so that's a little bit about the coalition it's been around it really started in 92, but it officially was uh, developed in 1996. So we used the year 1996. So mm-hmm. we You mentioned Ron years, Scott. Rest man. in peace, Ron Scott, um, who left us in 2015. 
um, I've been looking through the piece he left us with one of the one of the great uh, um, pieces of work he left us with how to end police brutality that that book is um, uh, provided a guide for many of us um, as we try to figure out how to uh, navigate throughout a lot of this uh, police brutality happening in Detroit um, he left us with a, a, a wonderful legacy but you were you were able to work with uh, Ron quite a bit during that time yeah Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We were able to work with him, enjoyed arguing with him, um, everybody, you know, and understand, you know, watching him as he started to make his transition, you know, some of the things that we had the chance to talk about, you know, when he was fully healthy and understanding that we're not going to be here forever, but watching him make his transition and, you know, we had to carry him, you know, to the bed as he was still fighting cases uh, from the bed, you know, all the way to the very end. Uh, Ryan loved the city. Ryan was an icon in, in, in activism and media. He won, won a Silver Circle, which is a very prestigious award. But he really gave his life to fighting against police brutality and fighting for human rights. He really gave his life. And to watch that happen, to be a part of it to the end and see some of the, the direction, you know, that we were heading in. And we had some very intense conversations about what he saw and where we were going to be. And a lot of what you see today is what he already saw coming, especially with Chief James Craig and uh, Mike Duggan and you know emergency management and where we are right now may be a shock to some people but it's exactly mm -hmm. where we should be at the rate that this country is this is where we should mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. can i ask how in we're going into the fourth week of demonstrations and protests um in light of the video of the killing of george floyd what are how is the coalition dealing with this, engaging with the movement that is happening in the city right now? Well, what we're doing is we do. I had the coronavirus, so and wow. I had it for a month and our spokesperson, Kenneth Reed, lost mm -hmm. four of his family members in 40 days due mm -hmm. to the coronavirus. Our president, Sandra Hines, is in a coma and has been in a coma since February. So we have to use our expertise without infecting people and without being infected. So what we have been doing is we've been working with the different groups that are on the ground. And we have been working with communities because you have a lot of people, you have the groups that are out there protesting. And then you have the people mm -hmm. who live in these communities every day. Mm -hmm. and they both want the same thing. And I think what the corporations have done through their messaging with the mayor and the chief is somehow tried to divide the people that are protesting from the people that live in the city, from the people that, and we don't know if anyone that's protesting doesn't live in the city. So they've created this narrative. So what we've been doing is serving as a bridge because I'm 48 years old now and I've been doing this 36 years. And I've gotten to the point in my life where I can understand now that uh, the elders where I'm at and where some of the uh, younger folks 
that are now out there um, that that are in movement. So I understand that I'm the bridge and the coalition now has become the organization that is the bridge between two different worlds and worldviews. So what we're doing is we're working with people that may have uh, sons, daughters that want to have um, events and we're getting them to have groups of 15, 10 social distance to talk this thing out in their neighborhoods about what the police are doing and what they expect and what their community should be. So we're not uh, pushing to send people down to protest due to the virus, because believe me, this police brutality and stuff is going to be around for a while after this pandemic. What we are doing is working strongly to strengthen the neighborhood so we can uh, deal with the problems we have in our city, you know, and how they relate to George Floyd. So in a nutshell, we're working with neighborhood. We're talking with Chris White, now the director of the Detroit Coalition Against Police Brutality. Um, I wanted to mention also, I think one of the things that we can take from the, from the decades of work that you've done, Chris, is the fact that the coalition has been successful in the way that they work with the community in, in, in the community. You know, we're using we're using the term. Um, one of the terms we're using more is the is working with the most impacted, and I think that's one of the things right. we can learn from the coalition is about how um, the folks who are the most impacted by uh, police brutality and police policy um, have been a part of the coalition and have worked with the co- coalition. Maybe you could speak on that a little bit. You know, one of the things that's beautiful is that. Um, when I think about what you just said, and I think about the Bog Center as well, one of the, the two things, the, the one thing that sticks out is that these are two entities that actually had a succession plan. So they did not die with the mm. leaders. They did not die with the founder. There were people in place and it continued. And, um, that's that's what it's about, you know, and I'm I'm very proud to be here to be having this conversation because there are people in the ancestral realm that are very, very happy that the three of us are talking because they know that their work did not go in mm-hmm. vain. And mm-hmm. they know that we are here to continue and add to and then we will ultimately move on, you know, and uh and that's good. That continuation, the struggle continues, and the activists on 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 the um, board. But what we do with uh, the community is we understand that each community is different. We understand that uh, there's different levels of pain in the community, and we also understand that they view the police uh, different. So what we do is we can break down different segments of the neighborhood that some are very, very, Detroit is a Mm pro-police city. And let's get this straight. Detroit, if it was, if if we were to take the left, the moderate and the right, Detroit would be to the right, even though it's African-American. Detroit loves, and it's, it's unfortunate, too many of people in Detroit, they love the police. And we are dealing with that. And when you get to the deeply rooted uh, challenges in the mind, some of it is black self-hatred mm. and some of it is anger and resentment to where we are with, without looking at the systems in place that have us the way we are, not only as a race, but as a city, 
from a class standpoint. So we work through our peace zones for life with our young people. We work in the schools and we get the different views of how they see uh, policing and more important, how they see their community. And that's what, what, what we specialize in doing. So the people that are protesting downtown, some of the other groups that are protesting in other cities, we're very good at getting with each of these groups and seeing how to strengthen what they're doing and relate it to the uh, neighborhoods that we live in. Because mm-hmm. there is a relationship between what's happening uh, in these different marches and different events and what everyday people are trying to do that's crying that steak is now $17. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had, um, you know, Amas brought up um, the protests that are taking place in Detroit, and you know, as as we're in, as we go into the third week of protests um, taking place, um, I, I think still on a daily basis, there certainly have been um, forums taking place down at the police headquarters. Have you had direct, um, have you had direct communication with folks from uh, Detroit? Will breathe. Yeah, Detroit will breathe. No, we haven't had that. And hopefully within the next week, as now we're starting to open up and some of us, you know, have uh, been through the virus and we have uh, better strategies on how to deal with our loved ones. I uh, think that, you know, we will work to see where they're coming from because we need to see what their long term plan and goals are. So, no, we haven't had any contact with them. Uh, but we would love to meet and see where they're going and, you know, help them along and see if we can, uh, you know, uh, heal some of the so-called rifts that exist within these different movements, yeah. which is nothing new. So, no, we haven't had a chance to uh, talk with them, but I think they're trying to do a, a service and they are bringing attention to this mm-hmm. uh, problem. Can you speak a little bit to, and I don't want to harp on it too much, but the, that uh, conversation about rifts, because I think it's something that is important to acknowledge and understand um, in, in any movement uh, that those yeah. do exist and how to navigate them with, you know, while maintaining the momentum and the unity of, of the movement. There were rifts in the coalition. Rifts are a part. Some, sometimes it's growing pain, sometimes it's outright jealousy, sometimes it's uh, not seeking buy-in from the greater community, sometimes it's ego within the organization. And that's why Ron and us always said, our struggle is not just against the enemy, it's against our own individualism, materialism, and opportunism. Mm-hmm. And when you deal with these things, sometimes when you look at a rift, is deeply rooted in one of the three things. Says that there's an opportunist that wants to use a movement or something or an organization for their own gain. There's individualism, ego, and so forth. And then there's materialism, where people want to get money and things, and that, and that drives people. The rift uh, in this in this in this uh, instance is that you know there are groups that have been fighting police brutality for years that don't feel that uh, Detroit Will Breathe has really sought buy-in from the greater community. And that's the rift. And then you have, uh, uh, and see, this is why where we come in as a coalition, because we can try to bring sides together. 
uh, did they get buy-in when they came up with demands? No, they didn't get buy-in when they came in, came up with the 23 demands. The question is, do uh, groups agree with some of the demands? Well, yeah, the issue is the rift is, is that I tend not to look at the battle within as much as the corporate forces that are fostering and supporting and benefit from this battle. So then the issue is just because I may have a difference with an uh, approach that you took, does that make you my enemy? Mm -hmm. Of course, the greater enemy is the reason why we're here. The reason why you have to be marching and the reason why there may be a disagreement with some groups is the issue. The enemy is why we're all here. So, you know, instead of us fighting each other about who's getting the attention or who has the uh, secret sauce to the Krabby Patty when it comes to protesting, <laughs> who has all that. Why don't we really step back and say, why are we here? We're here because the police are killing people and brutalizing people and not operating uh, in the best interest of the community. Well, who supports that? And who do they operate for? They operate in the interest of the corporate power. Oh, so now we understand who the enemy is. Now we can deal with whatever internal stuff. But when we get to battling each other, you know, like eight mile at the club, battling each <laughs> other over who's going to be the best, then what happens is the enemy, all they have to do is sit up in their um sky skyscrapers and look down and say, well, we won this one. They're down there fighting each other. So I think that some of it is is uh, that there should have been buy-in from the Detroit will breed. They could have uh, worked with other groups. They could have. But at the same time, those of us like the coalition who know better at that point, then we're obligated to do better as well. So we're not in any type of division with the, with the group. That we're not. You know what I mean? Our position, as, as I said in interviews, is the more the merrier. You see what I mean? The more groups that are involved, the better it gets. Our job is, of a movement is to widen the spectrum, not contain it where we feel comfortable, where all oh, we're the group. Because if that's the case, as you all know, the coalition has the reputation of being the, the, the benchmark of uh, effectiveness in police brutality. We would be angry at everybody. But that's not what this is about. This is about widening the spectrum getting more people involved, and ultimately um, making the change and being able to sustain that change. Mm -hmm. What do you see, Chris, uh, in getting down to the list of demands and the opportunity for further uh, convergence? When you, look at the, when you look at the list of demands, what do you see as far as places for uh, the coalition to... Um, I don't want to say fit in, but you know what demands uh, speak to the coalition um, more than others, or is it is it uh, are you feeling the demands across the board? Well, once they sit down with us and other groups, then um, you know I think what they find out is what's already mm -hmm. being worked on. You know, I mean, see the issue is you can make demands, and something's already. It's sort of like you know you're walking into McDonald's saying, I want a Big Mac. We ought to create a Big Mac. We ought to create a burger named the Big Mac. And everybody looking at you like, dude, you see what they're doing mm -hmm. on there at those tables? They, they may be 
six feet apart from each other, but you see what they eating at those tables? And then you look over there, man, everybody got a Big Mac. You know, and then, and, and what did Diddy say? Big Mac, Biggie and Craig Mac. I mean, even right. in hip hop, you had a Big Mac. Mm-hmm. So the issue is that, that, you know, facial recognition technology, of course people are against that. Yeah, but you got uh, Sister Tawana mm-hmm. Petty in that group. They, they've been they've been working on that. Now, do we as the coalition agree with some of the way they kept meeting with the chief? Of course not. They got played just like Trish Nam got played. You know, Detroit Will Breathe got played. And that's what the system does. It plays you and then it does what it's supposed to do and protects itself. But mm-hmm. they've been working on that issue. So if you're going to say you're for against facial recognition technology, you know, you work with them. And then the other thing is that uh, there's a charter commission that's uh, meeting and they have a work group that's uh, involved with police matters and reform. You get with them and you see how you can integrate your demands mm-hmm. into those work groups you know, that already exists. That doesn't take away the fact that you did it, but, you know, you uh, you have to, the demands like that, um, there are demands for water, water shutoffs and to end water shutoffs and things like that. The coalition agrees with that, but they also understand that the mayor and the chief and all of them, they meet with everyday people who live in the mm-hmm. city of Detroit every day. And what they're able to do is they will invite you into a meeting. They will sit with you and tell you, oh, we agree with that, but there's nothing we can do about it. And then they turned around after Detroit Will Breathe got out the meeting and said, uh, well, there are groups that's been doing this for years, and pretty much you got to stand in line and wait. Mm-hmm. Now, that, now that's, that's problematic because on, on the end of the organizers, they messed up by going in that meeting in the first place. That was a waste of time. That's the same mistake that the people with facial recognition technology came up with. They made that same mistake. So now you're isolated. But what the mayor has done is who the hell is he to define who who's in line, who comes next, who is a greater priority than who, when he works for mm-hmm. us and he's an outsider from Livonia. So you had a tail wagging the dog in this situation. And that's why uh, we all need to uh, come together. But I don't have a problem, you know, with them um, trying to do something. We don't have the coalition, but we think that, you know, you got to really be strategic. And I think what's happening is they got out there and now they're out there. Yeah. And this 15 round fight and now they're trying to build as they go and see you got $35,000 in 21 days. Coalition hasn't had $35,000 ever. Okay. We've operated out of pocket. You got $35,000. Who, who got $35,000? Detroit will breathe. From? They had a GoFundMe. Okay. You got over $30,000 in less than 21 days. So now how do you deal with that growing pain? You're not incorporated. You don't have a solicitation license. How do you deal with that? How and, do you, can uh-huh. I? Um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I'm I, no, listening no. to this. I like because in my understanding, Detroit will breathe sprung from this happening in this summer, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So how do we 
because I, I don't want to take it away from organizers who are responding, you know, in their immediacy, right? They're, they're seeing something happen and they feel that it is their duty or they are moved to exactly. move. How do we exactly. extend those coalitions and unities like to, to greater connect? Because maybe if, if they don't know for whatever reason about the work that's being done around water rights or around uh, Project Greenlight or what the coalition uh, against police brutality is doing, and they just feel that they just need to act and in doing so, maybe they misstep or get played. How do we work, especially moving forward? Like you said, no matter at the end of this, police brutality is going to be here. The work is right. far okay. from it's far from That's over. Right. So it's how enough do, for everybody, <laughs> right? So, but how do we how do we make sure that you know any organizer, organizer, any person, young person or or elder who is now feeling moved to engage, feels that they can find those resources and make those connections and and be bolstered and supported by the work that has come before them. We need to um, have some form of a um, committee. It doesn't even have to be incorporated, but you know, weekly meetings uh, doing like you all have done. We reached, you reached out to me and I was there using social media and all that. Um, you know, we have instruments like Ripper Wide that brings everybody together. And then everybody got to get out their feelings. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then he goes, so what? He 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 was able to raise money, and so what? They're able to hold a couple of hundred people every day. That's fine and good. You know what I mean? And and not and not sit and wait for each other to fail. I mean, you have people that say, "How? Oh, that's only because the country's not always open." Once the country opens back up, everybody go back to work. And then who wins there? Mm -hmm. Nobody wins. So. We have to come together now. Uh, we have venues like Riverwise. We all have our different social media pages. And quite frankly, everybody knows each other. I've known Tristan since he was 17 years old. He's not Tristan's new. been out there for a minute. He's yeah. not mm -hmm. young. He's been out there for 20 years. That's not new. Yeah, that's not new. And that's, uh, that's the thing. And then the other thing, what elders have to do, and yeah, I'll say what elders have to do. And so you can't speak. Yes, you can speak on what elders have to do. What elders have to do is be very, very extremely careful not to try to relive their youth through younger activists. And one of the challenges that I'm seeing is that you have people that are trying to relive what they did through this group. And what it does is it angers people who've been out here every day that lights are getting cut off and child support and X, Y, and Z. So we have to have that type of conversation that, man, you can't, nobody can appoint any one group mm -hmm. as the leader of a movement that's killing people. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we, we have to use the venues that we have. And quite frankly, we all, we all know each other. And I'm thankful in the coalition that I can talk to the elders and I can actually talk to uh, Trish and I can talk to the different factions that are um, that are uh, fighting against each other. And I have been doing that. I just have not had the chance to meet with that group yet. And I think that once uh, we meet with them, I think in the next two weeks, uh, it's going to do what it's going to do. 
but I don't think by understand the greater issue is how the system sees them and what the system is doing is waiting them out and just ignoring what they're doing, period. And what the press is doing is writing about them and then that's creating a greater divide. And I'm saying the issue is not the people downtown. They're not the issue. The issue is why are we here and who is framing the narrative? Yeah. And once we get an understanding of that, that's going to be the beginning of the foundations of a real mass movement. Because right now, all the, the mayor and the chief got to do is snap their finger. And 200 people from the community that live here, that vote here, that pay taxes here, will come out and say, we love the police department. We love our chief. We love our mayor. And that's the end of Detroit. We'll breathe. It's nothing they can do. They're done. Nothing they can do, they're done. And that's what we have to stop from happening. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So going back to, you mentioned a little earlier, uh, Tawana Petty and the work, shout out to Tawana, yeah. the work they've been doing on surveillance and um, you know, looking for an opportunity, you're looking for uh, uh, that space to connect with work that's been going on that had, you know, already has traction. Um, that work being one of those cases. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, they've been pushing for and they've been doing work uh, at the um, uh, the Detroit Board of Police Commissioner meetings, yeah. um, showing up in numbers, um, trying to bring more of a community input into that into that forum? Um, and I know you guys have done a lot of that, that work as well. Um, is that perhaps a, uh, um, a place we should be pushing a little more on if we're looking for more community c control? I'll use that term community control over yeah over police policy. Yeah. What we need to be doing is, numbers. Yeah, we need to yeah. be expanding beyond the meeting. And uh, you know, once me and Tawana did talk about that, uh we need to and that was one time, we need to be expanding now beyond because Mike Duggan's going to Washington if Joe Biden wins. So he's gone. Mm -hmm. We can mm -hmm. fight him to the end, but this is a movie where the bad guy wins in the end. He's going to get away uh, because the media, the attorney general, the governor, the FBI, and everybody that's involved will protect him. All prosecutors, they're all going to protect him. So he will get away and he will win. So the issue is keep fighting him and try to do what you can do. Because Mike Duggan is probably the worst person that's ever walked in the city of Detroit in its over 300 and something year history. And I stand by that. And I can mm -hmm. support it with evidence. Uh, nobody dislikes the mayor of Detroit uh, more than me. Nobody. So, you know, all any other activists combined, uh, at the end of the day, no one's going to dislike him more than me. Okay, let's just get that straight. So mm -hmm. but he won't get away because of our fear of him because he's white and our fear of uh, the people who back him and because of our distrust and resentment as black people against one another, okay? So there are different dynamics of why he's here and why he's able to do the things that he does, you see? Mm. So what we have to do in this instance, when you're in a situation like this, you have to literally go in the communities block by block and start waxing brains, you know, brainwashing, brain cleaning, brain fixing, rehealing, and get the people back into understanding who they are. And what's happening is that 
I always say these two things. Eddie, y'all got pens. You can write them down. <laughs> but um, there's reality, and then there's the movement's reality. Mm. And sometimes all of us, coalition, all of us, you, me, all of us, when we're living in the movement, we develop our own reality, and we get caught up in that. Then there's the reality of what happens in these actual streets for real. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. The, the, the true activists are the ones that can marry yeah. the two. Okay, so we're saying, man, we don't want surveillance. We don't want facial recognition technology. We have academic studies that show it doesn't work. They're getting rid of it in every city around the globe. They're saying, let's not do this. Even major corporations like Apple and Google, that a billion dollar plus corporations are saying, we don't even want to sell this stuff to police departments anymore. What do the people in Detroit say? Man, I need a camera seeing who mm-hmm. robbed me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see what I mean? So this is our reality and the intellectual approach with research and all of that. And then there's the 70-year-old who just went to the movies with the police, who just had a chicken wing with the police. Mm-hmm. I mean, really had one with a with a favor with the police. And they say, man, I need a camera watching on me because y'all young N-words is crazy. Yeah, you see what I mean. So we keep the pressure up at the police commission meeting, but we have to really see what we're made of, and we have to go on these neighborhoods and see and get them to understand that their rights are being violated. Give them political education and get rid of some of those police commissions because the police commission's problem is mm-hmm. it's made up mm-hmm. of cops. Yeah, you see what I mean. So you're arguing. With and that's why you know once by a time the Detroit Coalition used to go down there all the time. We don't really waste a lot of time yeah. down there because they're the police. So you might as well go out to the community and go in these districts and try to get rid of a couple of them. And that's why the charter is so important because through the charter we can change the structure where the mayor doesn't appoint uh, vacancies and where the mayor doesn't appoint any of the police commissioners. And then we can set up a, a level of organizing that educates our people. So when the corporations try to use their super PAC to finance campaigns, get people on the police commission, we will have our people so educated on the ground that their messaging will not work. So it's levels to this. And uh, what we're doing is we're doing some of it right, but we, we have to coordinate, like you two are saying, better coordination to see what we got from a resource standpoint yeah. and how to use them. I think we're on the right track, man. I think we're on the right track because you have several groups that are out there. And that's a heck of a start when you have groups that are out there fighting. As far as I'm concerned, you may not be winning the battles, but you are positioning yourself to win the war. Mm-hmm. And that difference in reality, that's, that's one of the things, not to bring Riverwise into it, but at the magazine, that 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 discussion um, or that dynamic shows itself quite a bit as we try to both, you know, provide some overall analysis um, of of certain issues while at the same time providing a voice for the people that, you know, are dealing with, you know, that reality, reality um, on a day-to-day basis and trying to, you know, um, trying to reconcile the two and bring together, uh, you know, a uh, advanced conversation around it. I love the magazine. Yeah. I love it. Thank man. you. 
remind me like the Black Scholar and other publications. It's, and since we don't have an ebony, it's a political version of what we do. And I love uh, the approach, how it deals with all the issues. Mm -hmm. How, you know, we, we had a, a column in there. We will be back. The messages are over, so we will be back. Definitely. definitely. We, we wouldn't be around without, without the work you're doing, Chris. Um, can we talk a little bit about the work that specifically comes out of Peace Zones for Life? Yes. And, um, you know, trying to get people to think along the lines of uh, mediating conflict on the ground as it occurs without the need to even bring, you know, an authoritative uh, law enforcement into the conversation. How does how does that look like on the ground? Oh, well, um, I first want to thank Sandra Hines and Wayne Curtis. Yes for being the two individuals that came up with that concept of peace zones for mm -hmm. life. And that's the beauty of the uh, organization. Everybody had a role in uh, developing something. It wasn't just one individual. They're, they're giants to me. Um, Sandra Hines is always truthful. And Wayne and his artistic ability and his understanding of movements and is passed on to his uh, child who's heavily involved. So, you know, this it, they, they are two amazing human beings. And what the P-Zone does is uh, we envision, you know, understanding what violence is and conflict. Uh, there's violence against one another. Uh, Sandra Hines always says, there's violence against the earth, tearing up things, mm -hmm. you know? And there's different forms of violence. Uh, that we have it's, it's the byproduct of racism and uh, white supremacy and economic exploitation. So what we're looking at when it comes to these neighborhoods is uh, programming in the schools that deal with our young people at a young age and working with them and having a network where they work together to define the police responsibility to the youth. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of times, once you say, once you start the discussion, how young people are supposed to act when they come in contact with the police, you already start off wrong. Police have responsibility to conduct themselves in a professional manner when they address our youth. Yeah, yeah. You see what I mean? Not when they come, uh, hold your head down, shuffle and grin. I say nice badge officer and you won't get killed. No, no, no. Mm. It's the other way around. They have a responsibility to our young people not to be whooping them up after football games at high schools, not to be laying around schools waiting to harass young people. They have a responsibility. Yeah. You see what I mean? So we had we we envision a paradigm shift and a shift in the rhetoric. So our workshops with young people are not about how to act when you come in contact with the police mm. is how they should treat you. Because we understand that for the most part, our youngsters are on the, on the right track and they have uphill climbs, but who didn't you and I and all, we all are still yeah. climbing up. Mm -hmm. Dirt now, finger there's now from climbing up. <laughs> so, you know, we understand that. So we, we envision it as, being able to have these organizations as an outlet 
having the neighborhood P-Zone and working with existing neighborhood block clubs, try to uh, put new life in them. Dealing with the uh, class divide and self-hatred within our community, dealing with political education, and making sure that uh, our young people have the resources that they need, and dealing with that disconnect in the schools. In Detroit, most of the teachers live outside the city. And when I was when I was in the elementary from the kindergarten to the sixth grade, every teacher I had lived in the same neighborhood. I could walk and see my teachers at the market and things like that, or at the car wash. Sometimes, you know, they would give some of the students a dollar or whatever. But now, and by the time I got to the seventh grade, they were all moving out. So uh, put 40 years onto that, and then you'll see that um, most of the teachers live outside the city. Uh, most of the administrators live outside yeah. the city. So it becomes a job. And yeah, they, not saying that they don't love the kids, but they don't experience. Mm -hmm. uh, what young people are going through in the homes. Now, do a lot of them fight for it? Yeah. But that's why when you sit down with some of the people in the education profession, it doesn't take them very long yeah. to start saying bad things about our children. And it doesn't take them very long to start saying bad things about our parents. How you follow home, they mama ain't this and that. In the P-Zone, we deal with the schools to make sure that that rhetoric is tamped down. You see, so the P-Zone is really various areas and various schools where there are networks of young people that deal with conflict uh, mediation and the different forms of violence and also self-worth. It is a curriculum. Uh, Mr. Kenneth Reed, he runs our P-Zone for life. Of course, we're not having it this year due to the uh, coronavirus. It's supported by the Buck Dinner. And we thank them for all the support that mm -hmm. they've given through the years for the peace zone. And it's ran with very little money, which makes the program that much more effective because you don't put your heart and soul into it. So we think that when we start to have a dialogue with each other and we start to have that realistic understanding what we're facing with, we can create communities where we don't necessarily have to call the police because once they come, mm -hmm. they're not there to heal. Mm -hmm. They're there to divide. And that's unfortunate. Following that, can you speak a little bit about, because I know look, going back to some of the demands that are happening from the protests that are happening now and that kind of understanding of abolition or defunding of police versus reformation of police yeah. Yeah. Um, and where you stand and see that. Okay. Um, we think the term defund in, 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 in a conservative setting like Detroit is exactly what the system wants to hear because they then minimize and shift the argument of what people are really trying to say. Defund in the accounting sense means take all the money away. That's what it means in the accounting sense, take the money away, which means there's no police department, there, there'll be cars sitting out there, there'll be a lot of cops collecting unemployment, and uh, we'll be paying yeah. for that. Now, you all know that's not what we mean when we say that. <laughs> Everybody knows that's not what we mean. But that's what happens when you have, you know, uh, white radicals and a bunch of academicians playing around. They just throwing stuff out there. And then you have black communities that live, live under condition. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So 
if you talk to the average person, so the word defund and, and all that, court coalition can't can't support that concept because I mean that word and things because we're not anti-police, we're anti-police brutality. Now reapportioning the budget to go into health care, to go into um community program, to work alongside a social worker, to eliminate the racism citywide and do citywide audits to for performance of racism, to deal with um a Comstat independent audit of stats because we don't believe their statistic to find out what's really going on, uh, to see how much money is used in weaponry, but that that can be used in dealing with um, uh, healing the community. Oh, we're all for that. Those are uh, uh, things that we need, making sure that they take their own uh, insurance out and getting that liability off of us and making them liable. They won't be quick to shoot somebody then. Uh, so we're all for those changes. Our concern is when you just that the media and the corporate forces are going to try to latch on to the term defund and try to shift and control the narrative and shift the issue. Mm-hmm. I think everybody is in agreement that we're spending too much money on policing. But in the city of Detroit, we're not getting any results from that money that we're that we're spending. Sandra Hines, our president's niece, was shot um, twice by a guy. Police haven't caught him yet. And he's driving up and down the street like he didn't shoot anybody. And the police still haven't caught him. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my girlfriend's grandmother and 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 and. And her daughter, which it would be her mother, in the late 60s and early 90s, was sitting on the porch and a car drove up and pulled a shotgun out and started shooting paintball at them. And they couldn't even move and shot through the house. Police were called by a cop. A cop called the cop. They never showed up. They never showed up. You see what I mean? Uh, a woman was beat uh, at the Northwest Activity Center one day by her boyfriend she called the cop the cop said i'm sorry are you okay well go to the hospital that's not a priority call so they're already defunded because they're not doing the job you're already paying for something you're not getting anything out of it hell we need a refund you know what <laughs> i mean we're paying money and we're not getting anything a, a deputy was driving his car the other day in downtown detroit a lady runs a stop sign and run, I notice why I said a deputy. A lady runs into his car, his personal car, tears it up. The police are sitting right there. What do they do? They, they drive off and go the other way because they don't feel like doing the paperwork. And this is a deputy. So the issue is, are they doing the job? Mm-hmm. See, there's the romanticism of a movement where we throw terms around and we sound good and we get clicks and likes and national TV and reputation. And if we set up an account, we can get some money. And then there's the reality of what happens every day of what people go through. And where you marry the two is, I don't think either side will truly believe 
when properly educated, when properly educated, that they're getting what they pay for in their police department and that that money is being spent right and that it should be reprioritized. So no, they shouldn't have it. Fifty Over 50% of the budget in Detroit is spent on policing. But yet 25 people got shot this weekend. You mean to tell me you don't have the intelligence to know that this type of thing's gonna happen? You and I know that 25 people are gonna get shot this weekend because it's been happening all the time. So you mean to tell me at some point you don't have the officers with the intelligence to know what's going on? These start from domestic disputes. So yeah, we 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 should be a reprioritizing, repurposing the budget and getting rid of most of what they're doing and making it an effective community-based part. So yeah. it, so, it sounds like to me, Chris, that, that in, in theory you agree with the reallocation, um, but it's, it's, it's the terminology mostly that, that maybe we have a problem with. Yeah, in practice we agree with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, we will push for it. We will push for it and structural change. Yeah, because mm -hmm. it's not. And we, yeah, because because the, the cases you you decided seem to me to bolster the argument for you know the immediate. Um, and again, you know, it's hard. It is hard to use the term defunding, and you know, I know that some folks that I've been talking to have been um, trying to push the term divesting or or reallocation um, is another term that um, you know folks are trying to use a little bit more. But it seems to me that's even more more of you know, more evidence that we need to, you know, immediately look at how we're spending money, oh, where, 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 where can be better spent. Yeah. Of course. Of course. You see what they did? They defunded Detroit public schools, mm -hmm. create a whole other right. school district. Anything that deals with developing our people, government takes money away from. Anything that deals with destroying our people, government cranks more money mm -hmm. into. That's but that's, that's, that's the importance to me and of the work that the coalition is doing and Peace Zones is doing is it's, you know, in addition to um, uh, preparing us how to mediate, you know, our own conflicts, it's also preparing us to, you know, have this conversation around where resources could be better allocated. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and, and uh, that's uh, some of what the protesters downtown mm -hmm. are saying. So, you know, and that's what some of the protesters that are upset with the people downtown are saying. So, I mean, we all agree. Yeah, yeah. You see what I mean? Everyone agrees on that. It's just uh, putting a picture of the enemy in front of everybody and saying, do you recognize mm -hmm. who that is? Yeah, that's the enemy. Well, what they always fight each other for? I understand some of the reasons, but the greater, the greater has to prevail. So, yeah, I mean, I think that what we're looking at is a comprehensive Quad County community-led uh, police relationship in the four counties. Um, that's a heavy lift. Mm -hmm. Some, like Shelby Township, they don't need no police force out there. Mm -hmm. They don't even need to exist as a chartered township. You know, so not only do their police need to be defunded, but their township probably needs to be defunded and dissolve with the racist practices they have in Shelby Township. And then you have Harper Woods. They have issues in their police department. Before the young lady was killed in the cell, 
there were cops getting caught with drugs in Harper Woods. Do they need a police department? Can they manage one? Not not seeing what 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 they have. And then you have, of course, Warren, the gold standard in <laughs> racism. You know what I mean? As if they're the gold standard. They just replaced Dearborn. Mm-hmm. You know, Dearborn's been on a decline. And that's because the greater uh population of Arab Americans in the city. You know, they replaced blacks as being har- as the harassment group. So, and then you have Ypsilanti in, 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 in Washtenaw County. Well, a woman is beat in, in her face by a, a deputy. And if you notice, while we're all fighting each other, none of the groups that are involved in protests have mentioned her name. When the march first started uh, in Detroit, it wasn't just about George Floyd. The marches were about Santina L., who was being held in the county jail. That was the original purpose of the march. Yeah, yeah. You see what I mean? It was local. You see where we're going? It was local. Now it's expanded to all this other stuff and was being missed the local stuff that's happening every day. So you had that. And then finally you have in Southfield, where the police have uh, beat a woman in so bad that she lost her child. So these are issues in different police departments in all four counties. So we need a quiet county approach Mm -hmm. to deal with. And then when you take a look at Shelby Township, man, one of the officers, one of the people who spoke up in favor of the chief was a Southfield police officer. So you think about this. This is a Southfield police officer that lives in Shelby Township that supports the racist rhetoric of the chief, but then gets in a car in a predominantly black city and mm-hmm. drives around. Mm-hmm. You see where we're going? So, and then you have a black chief in Southfield that says he disagreed with what the chief of Shelby Township said, but he has one of his subordinates that supports what the chief said, and he reports directly to the black chief in Southfield and now what's going to happen to that white cop for coming out there and speaking on behalf of the Shelby Township yeah. chief while he works in Southfield? So we need to look at this thing. Yeah. We have to have an aerial approach. You see what I mean? And then we have to deal with the inner division within it. We're looking at moving towards more community control or community control period over, over yes. this unjust system. And I, I feel like yeah. that's, what, that's the work you're doing. That's the work that Peace Zones for Life is doing. Um, and the work they're doing in neighborhoods, in schools, we're, we're preparing people to be a part of a system that revolves around community control um, over this particular uh, aspect of our social life. We're talking with Chris. And you all, too. Yeah. You all at Riverwise and the Bog Center and the Buck Dinner and the work have been doing. Here's the thing. We've been doing this for years, all of us. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just, I was just, I'm sorry, I just want to recognize we're, uh, we're talking with Chris White from the Detroit Coalition Against Police Brutality. We're talking about the protests that continue downtown um, throughout the nation, across the globe even, and, um, you know, where we're headed uh, now that we've reached that time when, you know, many people would say the real work is, is about to begin. And we start yeah. getting into some policy issues and... Um, Again, how how the community can be a part of should be a part of you know whatever direction we're going in. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, we did have a minor 
technical issue. Uh, we will be bringing you the full extended conversation at another time, but we really want to thank Chris White for joining us today on uh, the Riverwise podcast and sharing um, the work that they are doing at the Detroit Coalition Against Police Brutality and the conversations about building bridges between elders, those who've been in the work, and the young people who are out in the streets right now uh, making their voices heard, continuing the momentum of this movement uh, for now and uh, for the foreseeable future as the work is only just beginning. Yeah, thanks, Amas. Uh, and thank you, Chris. Uh, we're honored to have Chris White joining us and the work that uh, the Detroit Coalition Against Police Brutality um, is doing and Peace Zones for Life, doing that community, that work in the community, building community, getting us ready to uh, think about, you know, community control over not just uh, systems of law enforcement, but uh, all, all, all the unjust systems that we're dealing with. We're in this moment right now of several crises and uh, that community work is more important than ever. I also want to say uh, um, get well to Sandra Hines. We send our condolences to Sandra Hines and her family. Um, we want to shout out Tawana Petty, who we mentioned a couple of times. And um, again, uh, Ron Scott, rest in peace. He left us with this, this, this legacy and this work that we continue. Um, please check out Riverwise um, online. The new issue is coming out soon. And, um, and look into the Detroit Coalition Against Police Brutality online. Um, and um, we'll be doing some more work in the magazine. We'll be pre presenting some more around their work coming up soon. Thank you for joining us at Riverwise. This is Eric Campbell. Thanks, Amas. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much for listening. This is Eric from Riverwise Magazine. As we navigate these challenging times of collective mourning and protest and transformation, we're grateful to be part of a vital network of community-based media. Your continued support is vital. So we just want to take a minute and recognize the people keeping the Riverwise podcast afloat. Those people include the Riverwise Collective, the James and Grace Lee Boggs Center, Kari Frazier, and the Detroit is Different Network. We thank them for their technical and creative support. We thank Heidi Osgood, L'Oreal West, Valerie Jean for their help in getting the podcast out to the public. We want to thank Reverend Joan Ross for her continued encouragement and inspiration at WNUC. Bryce Detroit, thank you for letting us use your track out here now from the album Structured Water. You should all look for it. And we want to thank the Detroit Journalism Engagement Fund, which is facilitated through the Community Foundation for Southeast Michigan, who have supported Riverwise and this podcast and the writing wor workshop since 2018. Most importantly, we want to thank you, all the, the listeners, the readers, the people who are building community, building relationships out in the city of Detroit. We thank you for your support through the magazine, through the podcast, and we look forward to bringing more valuable content to you in 2020 and beyond. Peace.